up and welcome to the recap of the North Carolina Central UCLA game on the Bruin Bible here for the LA Football Network. To my right, my co-host, my main man, the madman back in the house, Jamal. Had to be at a wedding last night. It's wedding season for myself and Jamal. We love all the people that invite us to weddings. It's been great, but it just hurts a little bit as we can't always watch our UCLA football. You know, he helped me out the weekend before with me texting him about, you know, San Diego State. I stood in this time and shot him text messages about what's going on for UCLA. First and foremost, how was the wedding, Madman, that you were able to attend uh, this fine weekend? Well, uh, you know, thanks so much, Thriller. And it was, uh, you know, just an epic wedding. And, you know, some some very close friends are practically family. So it's always a very special time when everyone gets together, as as I know you've experienced the last couple of weeks and, and will continue to experience, you know, next week and, and beyond as well. So, couldn't be happier. I will say, I'm not sure what game had more fireworks, what event had more fireworks. Was it the wedding in terms of all the, all the dancing, the Bollywood dancing, or or UCLA with their eight touchdowns? Uh, you know, largely many of which were untouched. So it was uh, it was fireworks in both places. Ironically, the wedding was in Pasadena, so I was only a couple blocks away. Man, so a party for Jamal to be at the wedding. It was a party in the end zone. Eight touchdowns, as you <laughs> mentioned, man. 404 yards on the ground as a team. And a lot of guys that we hadn't seen in a while, you know, Justin Martin getting his first snaps, you know, uh, Chase Griffin getting his first snaps in a long while. Anthony Adkins first touches as a Bruin in a UCLA uniform, who we'll get to later. But we got to start off as we always do. Dante Moore, man. This kid, just the poise and precision. It's it's something unlike anything I've ever seen from a true freshman uh, donning UCLA, uh, you know, colors that we have, you know, even with Brett Hundley, man, he was a red shirt, you know, he had a year to kind of figure it out. You know, he waited, got his red shirt year and came out exploding Dante's, you know, a fresh spry 18 years old doing what he's doing right now. And the first play of the game, 67 yards on play action to Cam Brown, just to have the eyes and manipulation that he did to hit his man in stride. Uh, you know, the first offensive series for North Carolina central Liatu Latu intercepts the pass, nearly takes it to the house, man. He was ready to get that touchdown dance going, similar to the Bollywood dancers that you guys saw at the wedding, man. Uh, you know, Carson Steele punches in from one yard. Carson Steele looked really good out there. Talk to me about what that was, because 35 points in the first quarter actually broke a UCLA record, breaking the 30 that they put up on Washington State in 2012. Just a master class offensive performance for UCLA to start that one, Matt, Matt. Yeah, well, I, I think you said it best. You know, there, there's a couple things here to unpack. I mean, you talked about the 35 points in the first quarter, which was staggering. And, and you could tell they they sort of called off the dogs after the first quarter. I mean, it was only 24 points after that. UCLA could have scored 100 in that game uh, yesterday if they wanted to. Uh, but, you know, really classy move to kind of call off the dogs. A couple things really stood out for me, Will. One, you mentioned... Just the professionalism to take care of business. You're a 35-point favorite. You're playing an FCS team, an HBCU. Just recall this time last year, 
South Alabama was an FCS team. South Alabama was an HBCU. And it took the very last play of the game to pull off a field goal to win that game 32-31. UCLA came out and had no such difficulties here. You talked about Dante Moore, very first play of the game. Cam Brown was so wide open, Will. He almost fell down. You know, like he was so surprised he was that wide open, uh, you know, for 67 yards to the house. Then obviously the interception with Latu, one play, they punch it in with, with Steele. And then to me, that third score was the highlight of the whole game. It was that 30-yard out route to Sturdivant. Will, I'll be honest with you, that was an NFL throw if I've ever seen an NFL throw. And I'll go one step further. It might have been the greatest single throw I've seen a UCLA quarterback have probably since the Rosen-Texas A&M game where he did the fake Dan Marino and threw back shoulder to Lasley uh, for the game winner there. But in terms of single throw, that was absolutely staggering. And then you talked about everybody kind of getting in on the act whether it was Steele, whether it was Harden, each of them had very nice long touchdown runs. I think the the Steele one, you know, off that right edge and went down the sideline, had the closing speed to finish it off. Harden's was down the left sideline going the other end zone. And just those two cutbacks, Will, inside the 30-yard line just showed what a special athlete he is. Schley got involved with the quarterback keeper going deep. So it was really incredible to see everyone get involved. But I think Chip tipped his hand so much in this game because if you look at it, Dante Moore was the only one who actually really threw the ball in this game. You know, 8 of 12, the 180-plus yards, the two touchdowns. Of all the other quarterbacks that played, well, Ethan Garbers had one completion, Schley had one completion, and then it was sort of exclusively run game for two and a half quarters uh, to end that game. So if there's any doubt as to who's who's the man here, Dante, it's no question this is going to be his team moving forward uh, without a doubt. But very proud of the effort overall. They took care of business. They got a lot of guys involved. And this is the perfect setup now getting into conference season and particularly getting into Utah. Yeah, and that's how you want your team to look going into arguably the biggest game, not USC, of the season. You know, traveling to Rice Eccles Stadium in Salt Lake City, being prepared for a big moment with the two-time defending Pac-12 champs with the weapons at their arsenal and what they've got at the quarterback position. I was going to go in a variety of different directions, but you kind of touched on it. Are you ready to declare Colin Schley as the backup quarterback? Because I think from what we've seen with his packages, you know, he had two carries for 35 yards against San Diego State, three carries for 60 yards, and that 50-yard touchdown he had on the sidelines. I just think what he can bring in terms of his offensive skill set and what he makes the defense prepared for, given his starting prowess too and what he has done at the Division One level, I think I'm ready to put him at backup quarterback. It does happen to Dante. Do you agree with that sentiment given what we saw this past Saturday? Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, how you think about them. I, I actually think about them kind of as like this Venn diagram, if you will, where, you know, it's unfortunate for Garbers that he's not as good a thrower as Dante and he's not as good a runner as Schley, you know? So he's sort of lost in this no man's land. But I think we're in a position here with Schley where he's definitely going to be that running quarterback in certain situations. And I think, Will, you alluded to this. And it took me a couple of weeks to kind of get there. But you talked about that 2006 Florida team where Chris Leak was the starting quarterback. Recall, Chris Leak was a was a younger guy at that stage as well. And Tebow was just sort of a package quarterback 
uh, in, in the red zone and goal line short yardage situations, I actually see a scenario where that is more likely here. It's, it's going to be Dante all the way. I think Schley's going to come in third and short, fourth and short, inside the red zone. Certain situations where you need that down and distance, where you need that quarterback to be a threat on the ground as well as your running game to kind of come in there. And, and I think that's where he finds his niche. Now, do I think Schley is capable of leading QB2? I, I'm not sold quite yet. I mean, let's recall here, Will, he, you know, in a game like this, he still had as many receptions to the other team than he did his own team. I mean, he was one for four with an interception. So I don't think that really screams confidence as a thrower. I think if there was ever a situation where, God forbid, something happened to Dante, I still think Chip will go to Garbers as like the, the, the QB2. But I think we're moving forward into a situation here where it's clearly Dante's team and Schley's going to get some usage in certain packages and Garbers is going to be sitting there with the clipboard until something happens, God forbid, to more to kind of get back in it. So I think Garbers is sort of rotationally three, but he's still QB two. And I think Schley is rotationally two as a package, but he's still QB three, if that makes sense. No, it does. And uh, I think just from what we've able to see with him, I think we're going to see more of Schley this year than Garbers moving forward if everybody's healthy. And just, you know, Chip's at his best when he keeps the defense off balance. What better than just throwing in a Schley package? Exactly. You know, one or two possessions where the defense now has to prepare for a totally different side of a quarterback than they were, what they were used to when it came down to it. Uh, running backs, man. We had five running backs. Well, four running backs with a – six being the quarterback with 60 yards or more rushing Anthony Atkins. This is really the first taste we got to see of him. He had a rumbling, bumbling run up the middle, broke three tackles on a 38 yard gain for a 245 pound tailback. Got the touchdown at the goal line friend of the show to our guy, Anthony yes. Atkins came on the show. What'd you see from Ant? Because I'm excited to see maybe a little bit more of him compact 12 play. And you know, that style of physical running really transcends the big 10. If you've seen some of these bigger backs, over the years, these Ron Danes, these Le'Veon Bell type of backs, these bigger, stronger brute force backs. Give me more Atkins, man. I'm ready for it. Absolutely, Will. I mean, it was great to see. We got we got a little bit of an appetizer of Anthony Atkins in the second half of that San Diego State game where he had five carries for 25 yards. But really to get the main course this week was really awesome to see. And you mentioned that big 38-yarder where he just bounced off of guys and just was steamrolling them down the middle of the field. And then obviously got the opportunity to finish that drive with the one-yard touchdown. What I love about him, Will, is, you know, it's that in-between tackle situation. And I think, again, I think there's going to be packages here on the road in challenging environments where Atkins is going to play a huge role. We saw a taste of it against San Diego State when they lined up in that T formation when they had Yankoff and Atkins and Steele on the field. And I think there's going to be more such packages when you go up into Utah, when you go up into Corvallis, when you got to have it on fourth down against SC because you're going shot for shot. So I think, again, Atkins is going to be one of those guys where I see him sort of jumping the rotation and being kind of RB3 at this stage, given what he does really well. I think what's fascinating, Will, is that Atkins and Schley, to me, it's sort of the same principle. That, that Chip is using right now at different positions. He's basically saying, who is my best overall athlete? Who's my best player at the position? But then beyond that, beyond who's going to be at the top of that rotation, I'm really looking for specialists. 
I don't really want someone who's kind of good in a lot of different things, but is going to kind of get beaten out overall. I want my overall number one, number two guy. And then I want a bunch of specialists. And when you think about Schley as a specialist QB with his package, when you think about Atkins as a specialist running back with his package, it sort of leaves some of the, the Ethan Garbers of the world, the Colson Yankoffs of the world, unfortunately, out of the rotation because they generally overall might be better players. But if they're not the best at something, I think Chip is really prioritizing that in terms of these packages moving forward. So as a result of that, I think Atkins is going to get a lot more playing time in some critical moments in these bigger games down the line. I'm very excited to see it. Yeah, and we talked about Carson Steele, man. Five carries, 83 yards, had that 42-yard run uh, for a touchdown where they did the T formation, which I think we got to bring more of that just knowing how much talent we have in the backfield and trying to get all these guys on the field. I mean, Colson Yankoff, we kind of allude to it, RB4 at this point, he had six carries, 61 yards, and a touchdown in his own right. This guy was averaging 10 yards a carry. That's a first down every time he touches the ball mathematically. So talk to me about Carson Steele because I think this was his finest moment thus far as being a Bruin. I have always been on the train of TJ Harden, TJ Harden, and he really is that home run threat when it comes to Harden. You know, the 62-yard run, that was a thing of beauty, cutting back, making guys miss. He is a speedster on the field. But Carson Steele, man, I really think this is really trending towards more of an RB1, RB1A type of scenario where they're both going to be kind of at the top because Steele really, really impressed the last couple of weeks for me. For sure, Will. And I think you hit it on the nail. I think it's going to be a, a two-headed monster here. you know. And I think as, as Bruin fans, we've gotten a little bit spoiled the last couple of years with just who's been back there. And it's been very, very clear who RB1 has been in years past when you've got the likes of, Charbonnet, when you've got the likes of a Joshua Kelly, when you've got the likes of these huge backs that can take on uh, the bulk of the load, I think this year is going to be much more of a two-headed monster, to your point. And I think where success, what success looks like is each of these guys is going to get between 10 and 15 carries a game. And that's where you're going to get that 20 to 30 in terms of lather. Love what I saw out of Steele. Uh, you know, was happy to see that he had just enough giddy up to get it into the end zone there on that long touchdown. It was close. Uh, but he got there, and I think, again, he is that 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 boxer analogy, Will, in terms of the body blows. You know, he just gives those defenses those body blows. He's physical. He loves to sort of run up the middle. He loves contact. He's a guy who's always looking for contact, always falling forward. All of his stylistic elements that he brought to Ball State are, are carrying over. My only concern with Steele as the ultimate back is just the athleticism and the speed at a Division One level but, oh, by the way, that's why you have a T.J. Harden because he does his strengths in many ways are Steele's weaknesses. And Harden, maybe not as necessarily a, as physical a back, are what Steele's strengths are. So they complement each other so well. I completely agree with you. I love what I'm seeing out of him. And you can clearly see, I think, the other element here with Steele that's going to play a big role down the line is ball security. When you see him sort of carry the ball uh, will you know and, and he's always high and tight with it he's always protecting that football while taking uh you know contact and and taking the blows so he's just textbook protecting the ball you never see him loose with the ball at all the ball is never far away from the core of his body and I think those are things that chip is really valuing as is Deshaun Foster as you get into the bulk of the season so love what I'm seeing out of Carson Steele 
Yeah, and to bring it to our next point, the wide receiving room, I want to start off with a guy that has been quiet through the first couple games. Two catches, 22 yards leading into this game, and then Cam Brown just blows up on the first play. It's good to see him back. Yes. Former Texas A&M transfer. And you remember when we had Jerry Neuheisel on the show, he was the first receiver that guy mentioned. That was not by accident, too. A guy that he claimed has not dropped a ball at UCLA since he has been there. A guy that has been through the thick of it, really has been a part of the fabric of UCLA turning around its program. It was just good to see a veteran guy, a guy the fans are familiar with that we've rooted for time and time again, come away with a big-time touchdown catch on that. What was that play like, and do you think we can see a little bit more of Cam Brown going to this Utah game, especially with a veteran uh, you know, experience that he, he can bring to the table? Yeah, well, you know, what I really loved was with Cam Brown – you know, he came so he burst on the scene two years ago. We all remember that Fresno State game. He kind of set the Rose Bowl on fire. And then we were just waiting. We've been waiting for him to sort of replicate that over uh, a multi-game sequence and, and just see what he what he's absolutely capable of. So it was just great to see him re-emerge, if you will. I think he had he had a great spring, great fall uh, to Jerry Neuheisel's point. But I love that Chip dialed it up for him on the first play because, again, from kind of that chess master perspective, you know Utah's watching this film. You know Oregon State's going to be watching this film. You know Washington State's going to be watching this film. And the fact that he now, as an opposing team, you now have to think about Cam Brown. You know, you saw Sturdivant. You saw Loya. You know Ford is going to play a huge role. You saw Norwood. Now you got to worry about yet another element. And in the event that UCLA goes five wide in certain passing situations, you're now in a situation where everybody needs to be accounted for. Everybody has the potential to take it all the way to the house. And that's what I really love what I saw. He ran a really smooth route, was really open, uh, and finished it off. And so I think if there, there are some really unique packages now, Will, if you start stacking wide receivers. You know, if you go kind of three stack in, in one particular side of the field, think about a Sturdivant, Loya, Cam Brown kind of three receiver stack. I mean, each guy can blow the top off the defense, and you start having them deviate, go, go deep, go intermediate, go short, you're really going to overwhelm secondary and nickel-type packages with that situation because you don't know who is going to be the home run guy, who's going to be intermediate and, and whatnot. So the fact that he was able to get Cam Brown involved, I think it's only going to make Cam Brown even more confident in and slot into that kind of wide receiver three, wide receiver four type of rotation. Yeah, finished the day, two catches, 74 yards, and that touchdown that we previously referred upon. Jay Mike, man, you know, he makes his catches when he does, and they, they always are splashed. Two catches, 60 yards, each were 30 yards apiece, you know, flat, including that touchdown catch in the end zone. This guy's in rarefied air, man. I mean, it's only been three games and just the flashes of what this guy brings to this team. We've never seen anything like it, man. Is there anyone you can compare him to outside of Stokes, maybe in your fandom for UCLA? Well, the only guy that comes to mind that he reminds me of in terms of size, hands, uh, you know, and just overall explosiveness was Brian Pulley Dixon. And uh, Brian Pulley Dixon was obviously the complimentary wide receiver uh, in the heyday of UCLA in the late 90s with Danny Farmer, with Freddie Mitchell. Those were kind of Cade McDowell's three favorite targets. Pulley Dixon was a bigger guy, 6'5", you know, long, lanky, had great hands, um, and, and he had great explosiveness. But I think, you know, when I look at a Brian Pulley Dixon, 
and I look at a J. Michael Sturdivant, Sturdivant is sort of better on every axis. You know, when you talk about speed, when you talk about hands, when you talk about route running and precision there, when you just talk about his ability to kind of get open, uh, just absolutely remarkable. His ability to get separation. Uh, so Pulley Dixon is the other guy in terms of that archetype. But in terms of just raw athlete, you know, we we are seeing a very special young man. And that's always been sort of the the one position group, Will, that has been a little bit dormant for UCLA in the last 25 to 30 years. They've had great spots there. We mentioned Lasley, Jordan Payton, Craig Bragg, you know, Freddie Mitchell. We've talked about so many of these guys. But when you think about a Pac-12 power, when you think about West Coast, you think that there's just going to be this recycling, this reloading of, of big-time wide receivers of the skilled position. For whatever reason, it just quite hasn't been as seamless for UCLA. Hopefully, Sturdivant now starts a trend where other guys want to sort of join in and can see this Chip Kelly offense really thrive. In many ways, Will, Sturdivant is a trailblazer because even Chip Kelly's great Oregon offenses, it was all about the running backs. It was all about the tight ends. Rarely did they have a great true wide receiver one type of a figure that that able to to get Chip's offense out in space. So we're seeing sort of an element of the Chip Kelly offense we really haven't seen before of like, what do you do with a great pro prospect at red receiver? So I think that Sturdivant is actually going to set the trail for a lot of other guys to think about coming to UCLA. And it's just so exciting. It is. And the only guy I can really reference from a pass catching standpoint is the great Mercedes Lewis, completely different positions. But yep. just in terms of physicality, when you see it, you know it. That guy was a pro the second he stepped on a field. For sure. LA. You know, uh, Sturdivant's the same way when it comes down to it. So I, I see a lot of similar comparisons they're there. Built, they're built, you know, I mean, Mercedes was a little thicker, but to your point, Will, it was, you know, a guy that there was a wow factor there. And obviously, Mercedes doesn't have the speed of Sturdivant. Sturdivant didn't have the strength of Mercedes Lewis. But yes, there was that wow factor of this. This is someone very, very special. that's going to do some very special things, not just in Westwood, but beyond both physical freaks, man. And let's take it to the defensive side of the ball. And this is per Ben Bolch's article, you know, defense has really been the Achilles heel of this team dating back, you know, to the chip Kelly era, the beginning of it. Uh, this is from Ben uh, UCLA has held all three opponents under 20 points for the first time since the 2009 season to start off the year. Talk to me about the defense. We didn't get a lot of the starters, but what we saw from the starters was fantastic. Latu had that 25-yard interception. We're nearly punching in. The Murphy twins were getting involved. Shout out to Donovan Pilat, too. Came in on a really nice sack on a, you know, a safety corner blitz type of scenario. Talk to me what you saw from the defense, because I thought they were outstanding as well. They were outstanding, Will. And one of the things that I was sort of mentioning, I, I think Ben Bolt said it really well in terms of the kind of the three straight. One of the things that I was mentioning in, in my writing this week was I wanted to see just a sound situational football out of the defense, particularly the secondary, but also the front seven. And that's what we got. And, and we got a team that was very dominant early in this game, three and outs, turnovers, really just suffocated uh, this NC Central team from the start. And, and what was very encouraging was that you saw the same outcomes from the same schemes with different players. And that's, that's when you know you're building a system because – there was, there was an interchangeability of the parts. You saw the same aggressiveness from the front seven in terms of rushing the quarterback, both up the middle as well as off of the edges. 
You saw running back containment. And then you saw the secondary play really well, sound, man-to-man, situational football uh, with with their one-on-one matchups with the receivers. And so the fact that there wasn't this significant drop-off, not just in terms of outcomes, but also in terms of discipline. It was a relatively clean game from a penalty standpoint. There weren't really any boneheaded mistakes. So the fact that you got a very comprehensive, smooth performance speaks to the coaching, that regardless of who's out there, they're all being programmed the same way. They're all following the same scheme. They're all playing to their strengths. And again, this front seven is absolutely nasty, Will. And the fact that through three games, this team is only giving up 10 points a game. I understand the comp- who the competition is, but this is an incredible start to the season considering how the game of college football has changed so much in the last six or seven years. It's hard to give up 10 points a game to air at this stage, you know, when you've got all these spread offenses. So it was very encouraged to see the defense. I think their confidence, everybody's confidence is at, at an all-time high right now, whether it's the quarterbacks, whether it's the RBs, the wide receivers, and whether it's that defense going into Utah week, which is exactly where you want to be. Going into Utah week and the defense is humming. This is also per Ben's article. Check it out on the LA Times. We have eight turnovers and 27 tackles for a loss through three games. That is damn impressive for UCLA. Keep that rolling. I think we have one of the top you know, front sevens within the Pac-12, within the West Coast in general. So a lot of great things coming from UCLA. That pretty much does it for the wrap-up, man. I think we covered it was a blowout from the beginning. Not a lot of great, you know, you know, storylines, I would say, outside of just the starters and the reserves getting in there. Uh, any follow-up thoughts on this uh, blowout of a victory for our UCLA Bruins? Well, you know, I think it was, as we talked about, it's business as usual. But I, I want to kind of take a, take a pass, you know, and take a breath here and step back and sort of look historically at sort of where we are. And what was significant about this victory was really twofold. One is it's the first time in the Chip Kelly era that he's over 500. Now, Chip is now 30 and 29. And think about the first two seasons that he had, three and nine and four and eight to start, you know, seven and 17. And now over the last three and a half years, let's call it, because the COVID year was a half year to go from seven and 17 to get past the 500 mark, I don't think is something that should be forgotten or just brushed aside really historic win for chip and it also brings us to my second point we are in the midst it it may be hard to believe given how polarizing chip can be you and i know uh how important he is to this team we're so pro chip in terms of where this future is going but obviously he can be polarizing at times sometimes you know he plays coy with the media he you know he's books and ball which we love but some other fans may not appreciate as much a lot of questions about his ability to recruit and the transfer portal, yada, yada. But when you look at this now, Will, that we are in the midst of the third greatest run of UCLA football in the last 35 years. If you date back to the start of the 21 season, UCLA's won 20 out of their last 28 games. That has only been bested twice. The 97-98 season when UCLA won 20 out of 24 with Bob Toledo and McNown, which was the heyday going back-to-back Cotton Bowl and Rose Bowl, and then 13 and 14 with Mora when he won 20 out of 26. And and bookended it with a win uh, in the Sun Bowl and then a win in the Alamo Bowl. So we are at the third best run, stretch run here, 20 out of 28 games with Chip. We haven't quite had that signature bowl victory yet, so it might not feel that way. 
but we are in the midst of a Bruin renaissance here, which is even more significant considering this impending move to the Big Ten. So lots to be excited about. Let's see if that signature win, obviously got that win against Utah last year at the Rose Bowl, got the win against Washington at the Rose Bowl. Does it begin with a signature road win this week to really start putting an exclamation mark on this incredible run that Chip has put together? Yeah, and I think it's just beginning if you look at Dante Moore coming in being a Absolutely. The best is yet to come there. The transfer portal, what he's been able to secure from that, Latus, Sturdivant, Charbonnets, you name it. These type of players coming into Westwood then going on to the NFL. And then, you know, just like you said, more signature, potential signature wins, going to play bigger programs on bigger stages in bigger areas. So it's a lot of great things going on. Uh, but Bruin Bible, we are officially out. Uh, we will be coming to you guys uh, this Friday. Make sure to check us out. We're on 1090 The Mightier ESPN Radio. We'll have a Utah preview. We likely will have a guest for this one because it's such a big game. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but get home safe. Have a great rest of your weekend. And we look forward to speaking with you guys later in the week. Bruin Bible listeners, we've got a special sponsor uh, for today's episode. It is AG1. AG1 has been something that I've really enjoyed using in my spare time. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, and whole-source food nutrients in one scoop that you can use into your water. You stir it up. I use it before my workouts, before I start my day, and it has totally given me the energy I need to do the little things in life, like going to work, getting extra, you know, an extra boost, a second wind, if you will, for a workout. Before I play pickleball with my friends, just it puts you in a good spirit of mind, and you know you're doing the healthiest possible thing by putting AG1 in your body. Make sure to check us out and get a special deal with the Bruin Bible it's www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get the special deal that we provide. Once again, www.drinkag1.com slash Bruin Bible to get that special deal. Now, back to the Bruin Bible.